please turn in your Bibles to 1 John chapter 3. 1 John chapter 3, I'm going to begin reading in verse 4 because the thought kind of begins there. Really, we, sh- we should be reading verses 1 through 3 and then from 4 onwards, but uh, I want to start in verse 4. If you are reading at home, please read from verse 1 because it, um, it really flows from one to the other and you need to understand that the Apostle John made sure that we understood that we were children of God right now. And so the people that he was going to be talking about in verses 4 through 10 were not us, amen, but people that he was warning us about and people that we needed to really stay away from uh, in a sense. So let me read in verse 4 with that understanding. He says, Whosoever commits sin transgresses also the law, for sin is the transgression of the law. Remember again, this is not ordinary sin. And you know that he, verse 5, that he, that's Jesus Christ, was manifested to take away our sins. And in him is no sin. This is the first uh, time that he, the Apostle John makes mention of the word manifested. He, first, here he says, you know that he was manifested to take away our sins. Remember again, he's going to do that a second time in verse 8, when he says, for this purpose, the Son of God was manifested as well. Remember? So we, we, we've got two primary reasons. And in fact, these two reasons are linked together, which is what I brought out last week. And again, we'll take this a little bit slower this week. But that was again, there was a link there. The, the, the whole purpose for the Lord's coming was to do something that we really didn't understand needed to be done. Uh, his disciples didn't understand. Peter didn't understand. And Peter tried to stop him from going to the cross. And he said, no, I have to go. Amen. And he rebuked him. And uh, we'll understand why at the end. But if I can get through this today, awesome. If I don't, it'll be followed on next week. Okay, we'll have part two. But uh, when you understand the tremendous revelation, the tremendous uh, um, work that Jesus did, you'll understand why he said and why the Apostle John you know, had this insight and understanding that he says he was manifested to take away our sins. And then he said he was manifested to destroy the works of the devil. Amen. And they are linked. Amen. Okay. So <clears throat> verse 5 again, he says, And you know that he, Jesus Christ, was manifested to take away our sins. And in him is no sin. The reason that he said that was he let us know also, among all the other things I mentioned to you, that he was a perfect sacrifice. Amen? Somebody perfect had to do this. Otherwise, they would be dying for their own sins. The only way they could be dying for our sins if they had absolutely no sin in themselves. Amen? So that is really a powerful thing as well. So again, we know we need to sort of see this in context. Verse 6 He said, whoever abides in him sins not. Whoever sins has not seen him nor known him. Now, remember again, this this, uh, particular phrase, abides in him, sins not, was alluding to something as well. Again, I'll look at that today. But I want to draw your attention back to the fact that he's saying, listen, the sort of people I'm talking about are not you. The, The kind of sin I'm talking about, all of you who are in Christ... Six thoughts going through here again. He's saying all of you who are in Christ cannot commit this sin. Because when you commit this sin, you get out. (laughs) Okay? So he's saying, that's why he's telling us it's not about normal sin again. He's saying this is a very specific sin. And he says, whoever sins has not seen him nor known him. And that gives us another clue that he's saying, you've seen him. You know him. In your prayer time, you know him. 
So for somebody, you know, to come along and say, well, this is talking about Christians. Well, they didn't read all the verses. Amen. All right. Verse 7. And notice again, he says, little children, let no one deceive you. Notice in amongst all of this sin, he brings deception. Why bring that up? Why talk about deception if you're just talking about people's sin? You're here. So he's talking about things that are drawing you away from God, people that are in rebellion to God, and he's saying, don't let those people deceive you. Amen? And he says, let no one deceive you. And remember I told you the key word there was let. We have so much working in us and for us, we literally have to let ourselves to let ourselves be deceived to be deceived. Amen. Okay. So again, he says, little children, let no one deceive you. He or she that does or practices righteousness is righteous even as he is righteous. Now I want to pick it up there. Uh, because that's a, that's a really powerful thought. And the thing, and what he was actually bringing out in that thought, I'm trying to get to my notes here. What he's, what he's bringing out in that thought is that he or she that does or practices righteousness is righteous even as he is righteous. So remember, we, we, we're talking about his righteousness and we're not talking about our own righteousness. Remember that as well. Amen. So see, again, we see something here. We understand that we are in him, that we are God's children. It's all by grace. Amen. And that's why whenever we sin, we can 1 John 1 9 and get back into his good graces, so to speak. Okay. Because he says, if, you know, if you confess, if you acknowledge your sin, he's faithful and just to forgive you and to forgive you of your sin and to cleanse you of all unrighteousness, which brings us to this. If you're cleansed of all unrighteousness, then you are returned to a place of perfect righteousness. And it's not your righteousness, it's his righteousness. Amen. So that's what this is talking about when he says, again, he or she that practices righteousness is righteous, even as he is righteous. Okay, so whatever you do right, you are doing it in from a place of perfection, not from a place of God, I'm trying to do this to impress you. And get to heaven. Hello. Amen. Okay. You are just doing it because you're going. And so that's why it means more as well. Hallelujah. And remember 2 Corinthians 5.21 showed us the kind of righteousness that we walk in. He says, for he made him, that's God made Jesus, who knew no sin to be sin for us. Notice who knew no sin. Remember again? He said in him is no sin. Are you seeing the parallels here? Amen. So we know again that he was perfect. He was sinless. And a person that was sinless was made sin with our sin. So that what, what does it go on to say? That we might become the righteousness of God in him. That's 2 Corinthians 5.21, by the way. Okay. Praise the Lord. Are we following? Are we good still? Okay. <laughs> Accordingly, John MacArthur writes, Those who are truly born again reflect the divine nature of the Son. They behave like him, manifesting the power of his life in them. I I shared this with you last time, but I just want to bring you all up to speed, okay, (laughs) to what I did last week. The power that is spoken of here, remember again, he says they behave like him, manifesting the power of his life in them. All right, the power again we're talking about, and this is, you know, there's a tremendous revelation here. The power spoken of here is best brought out in John chapter 14, verse 12. You're going to get a new revelation on this when we get through this. Okay, remember again, that's, that's when Jesus says, most assuredly, I say to you. You know why he says most, most assuredly? Because nobody want to believe him. The church still doesn't believe him today. 
Even though he said most assuredly, they go, no, thank you. That's all for them puzzles back then. Not for us today. Amen? So Jesus says, most assuredly, I say to you, he who believes in me, the works that I do, he will do also. And greater works than these he will do because I go to my Father. Now those that came to Bible college got a revelation on that. They understand what the difference between those two works are. And you will have, I will, (laughs) don't worry, I'll share with you as well the same thing, okay? That you understand something here that there were two kinds of works that are being described here. There are the works that Jesus did. And then there are greater works than he did because he goes to the Father. All right? Now, oh, I really want to break out and start preaching again, but I don't want to right now because I did that to you last week. I won't do it this week. But (laughs) let me just say this. We will never operate in this kind of power if we keep focusing on our mistakes. And why I. Howard Marshall says this in his commentary, love this, the best counsel for a person who is faced by temptation to sin may well not be, don't do it. Which directs the person's mind toward the temptation itself, but rather to say to them, live in Christ. Okay? Which turns the person's attention positively towards his or her Savior and diverts it from the temptation. Did you get all of that? It is as our hearts are filled with love by the Spirit that they become incapable of harboring sinful desires. I think this is a tremendous thing. You know, a lot of times people are saying, see, this is why I said we don't have religion. Religion is you better not. (laughs) Okay? And God, having a relationship with God is, look unto me. Amen. And you know what? I have found that if we keep our eyes on God, then we don't have time for sin. Because our eyes are on God. See, this is the thing. Whatever you focus on is what you head towards. So if your focus is on God, that's what you'll head towards. If your focus is on, I better not do that, I better do that. Guess what? You're looking at that and saying, I better not do that. So that is on your brain now. Amen. And I don't know if I can go without doing that. And I, <laughs> you see what I'm trying to say? See how, how that sort of keeps leading us back to whatever that thing is? And that's, and that's what the devil is constantly trying to do, is get us focused on the negative thing. Whereas God always wants us to keep our focus on Him. Hallelujah. Amen. Alright. And I've said here, that's when our, we began our journey into great faith. And also when we finally start to do the impossible. See, it's only as we keep our eyes on God that we move toward God that we start growing in our faith. And then, you know, we get to the place where we have great faith and we're moving mountains. Do you know why? Because we keep our eyes on God. That's why I said, if ever you make a mistake, if ever you mess up, which, you know, we all do. I'll put my hand up. Okay. <laughs> the thing is, don't live there. You confess it, get it out, and move forward. Don't have this idea of, okay, now, I'm not going to do it, I'm not going to do it, I'm doing it. See, again, we go back to that again. See, that's, that's the reason why I love First John 1 John 1.9, when he says, if we acknowledge our sin, he's faithful just to forgive us of our sin, cleanse us from all unrighteousness, which, mean, which means there's no record of it left. So if there's no record, then you don't go look at anything. There's nothing to look at. Right. Amen. Amen? And so if you move forward from there, then you move in a positive direction, and you lose very little ground. The problem a lot of times we have is in, when we stay in that place, we start losing ground, we start going backwards, we, our, our faith begins to erode. 
Do you understand? And then because of our heart, because it is condemning us, we can't move a mountain. Because the, the one thing you need to move a mountain is your heart. If you believe. If you don't doubt, but believe. you know where the doubt comes from? People say, well, I wonder what doubt that is. It's you. <laughs> okay? It's you thinking, well, I messed up. Why should the mountain move? Because I messed up. That's why when you first show on one line something, that's the end of that mess. If it starts to rise up, say, no, no, no. That, that was taken care of at the cross. I acknowledge, he forgave, he cleansed, it doesn't exist. So when I'm coming at this mountain, there's nothing to stop me from moving it. I'm giving you guys a revelation here, okay? <laughs> okay? Amen? And so you can put the full force of your heart and your faith and bring it against that thing and get it out the way without this thing hanging in the back going, yes, but. Amen? That's when you say, get thee behind me, Satan, and shut up. Because sometimes he gets back there and talks to you. <laughs> All right? <laughs> uh, gosh, that reminds me of something. Yeah, this, I'll, I'll give you a joke. Yeah, you don't joke. Yeah, this, this minister's wife, you know, she comes home one day with this amazing dress on. Do you all know this? Did I tell you this? No, I didn't. And, uh, <laughs> you know, and it was very expensive. And he goes, what did you do? And she goes, I'm sorry. I, you know, uh, she, he said, he said, you know, we can't afford this. This is not my wife, by the way. Okay. All right. <laughs> she never does stuff like this. And, and he said, didn't you rebuke it or anything? You know, she said, yeah, you know, I was looking at it and I, I, and I put it on and I was thinking, you know, we really can't afford this, but I look so good in it. And then I thought, no, this is the devil. This is the devil. And I said, get there behind me, Satan. And he said, whoo, you look good from back here too, girl. <laughs> and I had to buy it. No. <laughs> That's why I said, you, you get him back there and shut him up. <laughs> Amen. <laughs> Amen. All right. Sorry. That was a little joke there. Okay. Moving on. <laughs> Okay, so now as wonderful as all this is, us being in Christ and uh, motivated by our inner nature to live a righteous life, amen, and enjoy God's righteousness with all of His benefits, there are those whose inner nature is evil. While your inner nature is righteous, there are those whose inner nature isn't. Can I say that? All right? And who willingly oppose Christ. And why the Apostle John goes on to say now in 1 John chapter 3, in the latter half of verse 8, he says, he or she that commits or literally habitually practices sin is of the devil. Remember again, the only way that you can practice this sin habitually is if you are coming against God, if you are um, rejecting the Lord, and in everything that you do, there's this rejection running in your life. This isn't about somebody that's doing bad things all the time. Do you understand what I'm saying? Okay, even if you might have a really bad problem in that area, we're still not talking about you. The only way is, like I said, you know, you know, you can't do it 24 hours a day. Okay, the only way you can be in this kind of sin 24 hours a day is to be in rebellion 24 hours a day, which you can be. If you are constantly rejecting Christ and you're rejecting Him, because you know what? The, the Holy Spirit constantly is there to try and get you saved. After what Jesus did on the cross, he's got one job. Get everybody saved. Can you, you all understand that, right? I mean, he did, you know, we, we know how much Jesus went through. And in fact, you know what? We don't really know. Because as much as you say, well, uh, brother, I've seen that crucifixion movie. No, no, no. You don't understand. That was just the beginning. 
After that, he went to hell for three days and three nights. And he wasn't having a vacation down there. Some people say, oh brother, he just went to paradise. How could he go to paradise? Because he took our sin on himself. Everybody that had sin had to go down into the depths of hell. The people that had a righteousness accounted to them got to go to paradise. See, this is the whole thing. That's why that argument doesn't work. They, know, they can't believe that Jesus had to go all the way down into hell because, well, he was God. You still don't get it. He died with our sin. He took on all our sin, which meant he had to go to hell and not to paradise. And whatever we had to pay, whatever price we had to pay, see, if you sin and you weren't saved, you wouldn't go to paradise. You're all getting this? You'd go down to hell and there you, you, you know, you begin your, tor- you know, the torment begins. Can I say that? Okay. And so for him to take on everybody's sin, past, present and future and go down there, where do you think he's going to end up in paradise? Are you kidding? Of all people, he would be the one person that had to, would have to go to the very lowest depths of hell, if I could say it that way. And so many that have seen, you know, had visions have actually said that's exactly what happened. And they said the horrific nature of the torment and the, uh, the torture and all the stuff that goes on. We have no idea. And that, that went on for three days, three nights. You all, you all hear what I'm saying? That's how horrific it was. That's why the Holy Spirit has one job, get saved. Okay? And the only way that these people can commit sin on a continual basis is to say no all the time. Get it? Okay. Praise the Lord. We're getting somewhere today. Okay. <laughs> so, for those that, that, again, oppose Christ, he says here again, he says, he that commits this kind of sin is of the devil. He says, for this devil sinned from the beginning. In other words, the people that the Apostle John has been talking about are described perfectly here, not as those who commit ordinary sins, but those who whose sins oppose God and his plans, and even worse, instigate sin and rebellion against God and his word. William MacDonald makes a very interesting point when he writes, it should be added that, the, uh, that people become children of God through the new birth. But there is no birth in connection with the children of the devil. Isn't that interesting? I never really thought about that, you know. We, we get a new birth. They don't. So since there is, you know, no one is really begotten as a child of the devil, the people that the Apostle John is describing are those who have willingly and willfully decided to side with the devil and oppose God. Now do you understand why they're so dangerous? Amen? That's why he says again, stay well away from them. Because even though they may claim to be of God, the truth of the matter is that they are of the devil and commit the sin that he committed from the very beginning. And that is rebellion against God. In fact, in his commentary, Colin G. Cruz says that the author uses the present tense when speaking about the devil's sinning. And this shows that he is portraying it as an ongoing action which has persisted from the beginning. Okay, so we've seen that term from the beginning a couple of times now. All right, it's, it's, we are, we are being drawn towards something and even the commentators have picked up on it. And I think it's important that we look at this because this is, this is something that there's something extremely interesting here. And this is what I was sharing with you last week. Uh, you know, when I wanted to just get this out. <laughs> okay. Sometimes you got to preach it so you remember it as well. Amen. And, uh, uh so I'm, I'm sorry I did that to you, but <laughs> I think everybody got blessed anyway. Um, uh, <laughs> But uh, what, what I want to do is look at this now 
step by step, line by line, precept upon precept. Are you ready? All right. Because he's been alluding to something throughout these verses that is nothing short of extraordinary. Now, to understand what that is, we need to go right back again to 1 John 3, 4, where the Apostle John said, Whoever commits sin transgresses also the law, for sin is a transgression of the law, or sin is lawlessness. Remember again, that's what the literal translation said. And remember again that Colin G. Cruz explained that when the author of 1 John says sin is lawlessness, he does not mean that sin is the violation of the Mosaic law, you know, the do's and the don'ts, all right? But rather that sin constitutes opposition to and rebellion against God, like the opposition and rebellion of Satan. So we need to really understand when we read that, that's what's going on in the author's mind, in John's mind. Do you understand? So he's coming at us from this point and he's bringing something up. He brings up this, this, this idea of rebellion against God. And then he says, and you know he, uh, that he, Jesus, was manifested to take away our sins. So he's talking about sin. He's talking about rebellion. He's talking about satanic. Okay, opposition. All right. Following this statement, he then goes on to hint at the way in which this was to be done by saying in the next verse, verse 6, those who live in Christ don't go on sinning. So he's bringing out something. He's saying as much as the sin came down, as much as sin caused all this problem, there was a solution. And he's saying that solution would be so powerful that once it was applied, that you wouldn't sin in this way. You wouldn't be able to sin in this way. Amen? It was a miraculous thing that was coming. Remember again that it was not just us living in Christ. Okay, when he says those who live in Christ don't go on sinning. But he makes a reference to something that those that read his gospel would go, Oh, that's right. We don't just live in him. He lives in us as well. We brought that out in John chapter 14 verse 20. John chapter 14. And let me begin in verse 19. Where Jesus said, A little while longer and the world will see me no more. But you will see me because I live and you will live also. Verse 20, and here it is. At that day you will know that I am in the Father, and you in me, and I in you. Amen? So understanding that, we just, we begin to understand now that there was a duality there. When Jesus, when um, the Apostle John made reference to those who live in Christ, he would understand, people would read that and go, that's right, and Christ lives in us. I really need you to get this. Okay? Alright. Now, Finally, to let us know in no uncertain terms who the instigator of this original sin uh, of opposition and rebellion toward God was, the Apostle John goes on to say in 1 John 3.8, for the devil sinned from the beginning. So now he just nails it. This is the reason why he makes that statement. He's bringing out, first of all, the rebellion of Satan, and he's saying all those people that are following him are going to behave like him, stay away from them, because they are willfully behaving this way and so whatever you know influence they have in your life will not be good it will come against your faith it will come against everything you believe in it will start to erode everything out of your life and you won't be able to move those mountains he's saying stay away from people like that and then he brings it all back to the place where all of this is coming from where they're being inspired from and he's he brings the devil into the picture and he said he sinned from the beginning okay now So this verse actually takes us back not only to the very beginning of all things, but more specifically, the beginning of all our problems. (laughs) Okay, And in fact, uh, actual fact makes reference to two specific time periods. First, there was a time before mankind when the devil first sinned in his attempt to overthrow God 
And remember, he, he failed dismally, okay? And it's brought out in Isaiah chapter 14. And I want to look at that today a little bit more closely because I raced through this last time. Isaiah chapter 14, verses 12 through 15. It says there, Isaiah 14, 12, How you are fallen from heaven, O Lucifer, son of the morning. How you are cut down to the ground, you who weakened the nations. See, even back then, he was he, the, he would come to weaken things. He'd never come to strengthen anything. When he comes into your life, he comes to weaken everything in it. you all with me now? That's why the Apostle John says, stay away from people that will do that to you. Verse 13, he says, for you have said in your heart, I will ascend into heaven. I will exalt my throne above the stars of God. Listen, notice what he's doing. He's saying in his heart, I will ascend to heaven. I will ascend. Now, see, the word stars there. Notice he says, I will exalt my throne above the stars of God. What are the stars of God? When you read in the Bible, you begin to understand. Remember, it talks about, and he took a third of the stars with him in his rebellion. Do you understand that what he is talking about are the angels of God? You know he's an angel. And he wants to exalt himself above all the angelic hosts to the place where God is. Get this now. This is the sin of rebellion. This is that universal sin I was talking about. Are you all with me? That And, and have you, you know, as a side note, can I give you a little side note here? Okay, Let me, I'm giving to you anyway. Isn't it interesting? <laughs> Isn't it interesting that the whole world is geared toward being on top, if I could say it that way? Always, you know, uh, who's got the best paying job, you know, do everything. The whole educational system is to push you to a place where you can retire by like 20 before you get out of uni. <laughs> you know, the whole idea, you know, it's all about status. That's what I'm looking for. It's all about status. Have you noticed everything that Satan wanted was about status? I will exalt my throne above the stars of God. It's status. And that same mentality is running in this earth. See, we were ne- never meant to have that kind of... When, when God said, let them have dominion, it was over the natural realm, not over each other. Listen now. And now I said this to somebody. Everything that is in man right now came from God and the devil twisted it. So our dominion was to be over things that misbehaved in, in nature to bring it back to a place where it was behaving so that everybody could benefit from it. And we took that and started using it against people. And we wanted to have their promotion. We wanted to have their job. We wanted to go higher than them. And we wanted to tell everybody over here, we got better jobs than you. And we have more status than you. We have a bigger house than you. You know, the Joneses. I don't know who they are anyway. But you know, you know what I'm trying to say? This, <laughs> this whole mentality came from here. And this, this is what... Listen now, I'm going to give you a gem. Are you ready for this? It's a real jewel, okay? This is what causes a lot of people to stray from God because people that are, that have this mentality, that's why I said, you got to watch out for these people. They are, they are subtle. You don't realize who they are, okay? They'll come in and say, why, you know, waste your time in church and giving there and everything else. Let's invest your money over here and let's do all of this so that you can retire by 25 or whatever, you know? Are you all here? And see, what are you trying to do? Have you ever thought about this? Everybody that wants that, what's the word they're looking for? They want to retire. Do you know you weren't designed and put on this earth to retire? 
<laughs> I'm giving you a revelation now, okay? Your job isn't to retire. See, but if that's, if status is all you're after, then that's what you want. And then you waste your life once you retire. That's what people do, you know? They become used to some kind of decadent life and then they live that way. And, you know, they become these people that are recluse and they're no help to anybody. Except they get in the magazine and the sixth richest person in the world. Who cares? Oh, people love to read that stuff. I don't. I think what a waste. Listen, you were put here to do something, to be a blessing. Because whatever you do down here, that's what gets rewarded in heaven. Not the status that you have. Remember the rich man and Lazarus. It's not about your status and how far up you can get. And God says, whoo, he really made a name for himself. Let's have a palace in heaven. Is not what happens. <laughs> okay? And isn't it sad that even Christians today will sacrifice everything. They'll sacrifice you know, them being there for other people. They'll sacrifice not giving. All of those things so that they can, they can get to a place where they can do nothing. Because that's what the devil sells. You know, how to become a millionaire before you're 25. Why? To give the money away? Oh no, brother, we're keeping that. Exactly. Amen? Alright. And I want you to see where all this comes from. So this is why I'm saying to you, this is what that sin was. And that's how it starts to erode away their faith from them. And why Sunday they stop coming to church and everything else because they're too busy now working on Sundays trying to get there. Amen. Okay. So I said, it's all, I, I'm not against you working on Sundays. I'm just saying, watch out the reason you do it and that you're not getting pulled away from God. Amen. I mean, I put all my stuff on YouTube for people that can't make it, that they can go on there and catch up, but I don't want them to catch up every single week. You still need to come every so often. Amen. Okay. Let's move on. And he said again, for you have said in your heart, I will ascend into heaven. I will exalt my throne above the stars of God. I will also sit on the Mount of Congregation on the farthest sides of the north. Verse 14, I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. I will be like the most high. That's exactly what people are doing today. I want to have enough money so I don't need to believe God for nothing. Because I've got money. I have a problem. I can buy my way out of it. I can pay for it. Because remember that's why Jesus said, you can't serve God and money. Notice he didn't say you can't have money. He said you can't serve God and money. There's a big difference between having it and serving it. Are you all with me? And for people that serve money, they serve it to get it. They get it so that it can serve them and they don't have to serve God. Did you get that? Okay. People say, I don't need God in my life. I've got plenty. I will be like the most high. Getting it? All right. Yet you shall be brought down to Shoal to the lowest depths of the pit. And that's what's waiting for people like that. Remember, those who humble themselves will be exalted. Those who exalt themselves will be humbled. Amen. Amen. All right. Now, that was the first beginning, okay, where, where he sinned, and this was in that spiritual age. The second beginning refers to the time of man when the devil's sin is compounded in the Garden of Eden, which was our beginning, when he coerces Adam and Eve to disobey God and causes them to fall and uh, to sin as well. Now, I won't go look at all the scriptures, but you all know what happened, right? Okay? And when they did, this is what I want to bring out in, in all of this. There, were, there was a sin that he committed in heaven. That's that lawlessness. So I wanted you to see that and what that was about. 
And then he brings that into the garden. And you know the very thing that he says to Adam and Eve. In fact, maybe I should have put it down. Where he says, if you eat of this fruit, you'll be like God. Isn't that exactly what he wanted to be? He's still after that. And so he coerces them to sin with that, see again, status. He's trying to get this status. And so he's, you know, he's lost it in, in the heavenly realms. So he comes into this natural realm and tries to get this. And it's so sad that Adam and Eve fell for it. Because when they fell for it, they handed over everything they were given to him. That's the reason why he would be able to tempt Jesus in the wilderness. That's brought in Luke chapter 4 and verse 6. When he says, all authority I will give to you and their glory. This is Luke 4, 6, the latter half. For this has been delivered to me and I give it to whomever I wish. A lot of people think, see, God gave the devil dominion. He did not. God said, and you know, let them, man, have dominion. And when man sinned, they gave that to the devil. That's why it says it has been, he was able to say it has been given to me. Because they listened to me, they put my word above God's word, so they're serving me. So everything they, that belongs to them now belongs to me. Get it? And I said here, if this wasn't true, it wouldn't have been a temptation. <laughs> okay? But it was true, and what's more, it signified how much we actually lost at the fall. So, this is what the Apostle John has in his mind when he's writing these scriptures out. I have run out of time. Uh, what we want to, <laughs> can we, can we pick this up next week? Amen. Because we are now on a train towards what Jesus had to do and the incredible work he did on the cross that we'll understand now that we are in a far superior position than we ever were before. Praise the Lord and the rest next week. Let's have a break.